0: This is Mabra Radio, and I'm your host, Rob Kelly. This is a special episode brought to you by Source Endurance, and that everyone involved has a deep connection to Source, whether as a coach or as an athlete. When we started this podcast, it was with the intent of telling a story. A story about a part of the sport that often doesn't get told. The story of us. The bike racers caught in between the first-time racer and the World Tour Pro. The purpose behind this podcast is to showcase the people at all levels who make this sport interesting and compelling, to talk about their journeys, and about those who've helped them along the way, all in the hope that we can foster the next generation of racing and leave behind a future worth being proud of. In this episode, we talk with Kristen Arnold of Butcher Box Racing, Zach Allison of Cliff Bar, and Julie Kalitza and Whitney Allison of Hoggins, Berman, Supermint. We are fortunate enough to corral all of them in the Mobber Radio studio the day before the Armed Forces Cycling Classic to talk about what it means to be a pro in American bike racing and how that lifestyle really works. Stay tuned after the interview for a few thoughts from me about where we may want to go from here. Welcome everybody to the first live uh, recording with more than one or person or two people. We've got an entire cadre of human beings here gathered around the Mava radio table, so I'll just go around left to right. I was originally going to do this alphabetical, but it's probably really next to impossible with so many A's at the table. So, <laughs> immediately uh, to my left, I have Julie Kalitza of Hoggins Berman. Hi. And next to her is Kristen Arnold of Butcher Box. Hello. Zach Allison of Cliff Bar Racing. Hi. And Whitney Allison, also of Hoggins Berman.
1: What's up? We
0: wanna talk about what it means to be a professional in bike racing, or at least a professional in the domestic sense, in America. As a lawyer, I like to define things as much as I possibly can, because that way everybody who's talking with you knows what you're talking about. And the word pro before bike racer leads to a little bit of confusion. So I wanna start first with Whitney, since she's on a UCI pro team. Whitney, what do you think it means to be a pro bike racer?
2: Um, I think it's really evolved throughout the years. I am on a UCI pro team along with my teammate, Julie. I would say at the same time, it's not possible to make a livable wage as a professional. So that kind of makes you wonder about the word professional. In theory, you would want to make an entire living from that and not have to have another job. However, we see most professionals on the men or women's side, at least in the U.S., do have some sort of other job, or they're in school, or have a partner or somebody who helps support them with their racing.
0: Kristen, you've got another job, correct?
1: Yes, I have two other jobs.
0: What are these other (laughs) jobs that you've got?
1: (laughs) I am a coach and sports dietitian for Source Endurance, and then I also own my own private practice nutrition counseling business.
0: And so how do you, living the, the professional bike racer life, balance the professional I-need-to-make-money responsibilities with the professional I-want-to-do-this-at-the-highest-level possible responsibilities?
1: I always put bike racing as my first priority. So training, getting to the races, organizing logistics to get to the races are my first priority. But I'm fortunate in that my employment is, can be done remotely, and so I can work from wherever. So right now, I've been on the road for seven weeks and can work wherever I am. And so um, it's just a lot about time management and being able to see my clients Um, with video chat for nutrition counseling, talk to my athletes on the phone, write training plans.
0: Whitney, you've gone to Europe. You've raced in Europe. Yes. Is the American bike racing scene fundamentally different than the European bike racing scene? How so? Which races did you race this year in Europe?
2: Um, We did Flesh wallone and Liege-Bastogne-Liege this year.
0: So when you go and you race... La Flèche wallon or Liege, uh, compare it to Winston-Salem, the UCI race that you guys just did this past weekend. Are those races comparable?
2: Um, comparable in intensity, I would say Winston-Salem was easier. Um, I would say that Amgen Tour California this year was actually pretty comparable to Flesch and Liege, um, looking at, like, files, I guess. It is interesting, though, because both of those are ASO events. If we're talking about professionalism, it's interesting that for Amgen, the prize purses are equal for men and women, whereas the ASO events in Belgium are not. They are, like I don't know, four or five times the prize purse for the men. So it's kind of interesting that when we're talking about professionalism, that there's almost more equality, maybe because there's a lack of pay as a salary for men and women in the US.
0: What about the way the races are run? Is there parity between the European races that you've gone to and done and, and the American professional races that you've done?
2: I'd say a lot of them are pretty similar, yeah.
0: Despite the fact that I've followed Julie on Instagram and for the last, I don't know, five years, I still have no idea what you actually do for a living. What do you do for a living outside of bike racing and and the lip sync battles?
3: Um, I don't know what I do for a living either sometimes. Um, I've had a multitude of jobs in the past five years, um, but one of the things that I'm very fortunate in being able to do is um, doing it remotely. I, I basically just w- weasel my way into jobs, I think. Like, I'm just like, hey, does anybody need anybody for anything? And then I just wind up getting a job. And so now I'm actually doing, um, writer recruitment and, um, some other things for long tail marketing, which is, um, I say I'm a lot, sorry, which, which is, uh, Gabe and Casey Lloyd, who are promoting... They have several events, but two events that I'm working with them on are Reading Rad Sport and Scranton Electric City.
0: And these are two top-end criteriums in Pennsylvania yes. in
3: August. Yeah, yeah. and I, I like the way... I mean, they, they're really smart about how they run things, and it's really community-oriented, and I think that's the way that um, most criteriums should move towards is working with a nonprofit and having it benefit not only the nonprofit in the community, but the community as a whole. And so that's what, what they're doing and we've seen with Reading, Radsport, they've been doing it, this'll be the third year and it's continues to grow and Scranton is the first year, but I mean a lot of other communities are looking at them and seeing what they're doing for Reading and be getting excited about it and wanting it to come to their community as well. So
0: going back to something i think that zach and i have talked about in the past and probably talked about I don't know, yesterday you know the concept of a livable wage for a professional what zach do you mean by a livable wage
4: i mean cycling in the past has provided enough money to a professional rider to buy a house or have you don't have to have another job so like, i would talk to steve tilford and he would rant for hours and hours and hours on how, like, oh, when he was on 7-Eleven. He bought a house on top of winnings and he could, he could live off of the money he made just in cycling. And that, I think, would be the most simplest way to define a professional cyclist. But it just doesn't really exist anymore in the U.S. And I think part of the reason for that is the demand has changed So we can't really do a job and say, oh, I worked really hard at this. I did this many hours. I think my hours are worth this much. This would be my livable wage. Like you can do a menial task that's really, really hard for you, but no one's going to pay you for it. You have to create demand for that job. So, I mean, if cycling, you know, if we do the USA Crit Series and we work really, really hard and you win every single race and you're on a team that doesn't pay you, you have to be able to look around and and say that maybe the demand for cycling isn't there or maybe it's not what it used to be like there's a reason that there's not money flowing into the sport and flowing to the riders as rider pay when football has demand and basketball has demand and then these athletes get paid a ton of money for that so I mean part of the reason that Whitney can go do the biggest races in the world and still not make a livable wage is maybe part of the demand for cycling in the U.S. specifically, but also the world, right now anyway. And is
0: there a, a reason, or a set of reasons that you might be able to point to that we as a community could, in you know, work on to create that
4: buzz? Stop doping. I mean, there's a lot, like, if you're a doped rider, stop doping. But there's a lot of reasons why people don't demand bike racing anymore. There's a lot of other sports out. I mean... There's a ton of different things to watch that are entertaining that have money flowing into them. Cycling's been around for a long time, um, but I, I mean, I can't say one reason why the demand and the money flowing into cycling has gone down specifically. Christian, what do you think?
1: Um, I wanted to provide an example. So, Butcherbox Cycling, they made a conscious decision to be ex- just USA Crit's team and not a UCI team. Um, so they would have budget money to pay their riders.
0: So talk about Butcher Box because before I started preparing for this, I didn't know much about the team beyond Spencer being on the team because he's exciting and I, it was fun to watch him last year as he was getting better and better at crit racing. There is a unique story behind how you know the the organization behind Butcher Box came into existence. What is that?
1: As I understand it, so Steve Cullen is the owner of the team, and he was is in love with bike racing and wants to make it better. And he cusses a lot. <laughs> He's getting love better bike at that. Is
4: understatement of <laughs> at least getting... the month. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, but being a writer, and I'm also the team nutritionist, it's been a really interesting experience seeing how the team works. And he treats very much the um, ButcherBox, the company, as a client of the team. That the team's purpose is to um, help marketing and get subscriptions for ButcherBox, the company, and they do that through outreach. And so, um, and they find that USA crits the series and crit racing in general is one of the best ways to get exposure for that and so the money for the team um, I mean most of the riders on the men's team do get livable wages and they attribute that to part of it is that they're not paying the UCI fees okay to be fair the UCI fee is only $30,000 so I
3: don't think that covers everybody's salary that's a good point.
1: But
0: what about point the point of
1: order? What, <laughs> about,
0: what about the women's team? I, I understand the women's team is new this year.
1: Yeah, the women's team decided to come into fruition uh, in February, so it's very new, um, and this is a trial year for the team. And so we've assembled just a few riders, and um, we'll see what happens.
0: The idea is that as a pro. In, in, in using the, the most generous definition of the sense, somebody who is at least a Category 1 bike racer who races at the top end of the sport and competes at the top end of the sport in the hardest, best events in the country and in, in some cases in the, in the world, what is that lifestyle like? Is that a lifestyle that a 50-year-old man and woman could do, or is this something that's, that's only allowable for the younger generation?
3: You can start with me.
0: Why don't we go with Julie, since I think she's been bike racing the longest?
3: Yes, probably not. I bet, but um, I will say that, and I think there is some emulation um, in older older riders doing that. But I do think that it's the reality is you can't, as a older rider, it's not a real thing that that you can do. Um, with the same gusto as I think younger riders um, do it. I think it's like a huge hustle a lot of the times. And I find as I get older, it's um, more and more fatiguing to have to do that, to have to figure out where my money is going to come at one month to the next. Um, it's kind of, it's brutal. So I think definitely, you know, staying positive, and continuing to grind it out with like having a job, whether it's remote or part-time, and then trying to do all the things that make you a good writer, whether it's writing, resting, eating right, you know, taking the supplements that you need to take, doing your stretching, doing, you know, getting a massage or whatever, it can be really fatiguing. And I think the older you get, the more that becomes like, even more tiring. So I think definitely it's a lot for younger riders, and I think to a certain extent I've become a vampire because I definitely gravitate towards the youthful riders and their energy because, like, I don't have that as much anymore. So, yeah, I definitely find myself, like, being like, oh, you have a lot of positive energy. Let me take all of that because... (laughs) My soul is dark, and I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's a very long-winded question. I mean, answer to your question. But, yeah, I definitely think it's for the the youthful. PMA is always positive mental energy. PMA. Yeah, bad brains for you. PMA is always necessary, and I will take it from everyone. Any chance I can? I don't know how that came to that. Sorry.
0: It's okay. <laughs> okay. But uh, so Zach, what can you what can you possibly
4: add? To Julie's games <laughs> or exactly. there. I mean, I think the sports for everyone. Like, I think to make money at it, like that's where it crosses into this like weird realm that's only for really a few people that really like Julie said want to just drive it out and and like give your entire life to it, but cycling is for everyone and it's one of those incredible sports unlike a lot of other sports where you can see people that are getting paid or they're pro or you, that you idolize them as a rider and you can see them at Haines Point doing laps or fight club and you can sprint it out with them like you can't drive next to an F1 racer and actually like race them a little bit like that's one of the coolest things about cycling and then like if you just don't think about it all as like money or financially based or like don't be a cap three team hopping to get a 30 versus a 35% discount at your shop. Like it's not about Dang that. It. Like it's super cool for you to be like, oh, I like the Shimano shoes better, but my team is sponsored by CD. It's like, get the Shimano shoes, dude. Like
0: it's fine. Yeah. yeah.
4: Like it's like something we can't do as pros, but it's like, if, if you're out there being a part of cycling, just run what you brung and ride and have fun. And, and you actually get to ride with whoever you, you choose your own adventure in cycling, and that's different than a lot of other sports in a good way.
0: Whitney, what does it mean for you? I mean, not what does it mean. I guess the better way to say this is how hard is it for you to be you, to be a pro bike racer? (laughs) I mean, how much training do you do on an average week? Are you the 25-hour, you know, I'm on my time trial bike and I'm just going to ride solo? She's
3: always busy. I will say that for Whitney.
2: I am always busy. Well, it's been interesting. Like, I've been working with Adam Mills as my coach with Source for seven years, and when I started with him, I had an eight-to-five office job and trained maybe eight-to-twelve hours a week, and then eventually, like everybody else here, I got a remote job and started to be able to train more and choose my schedule I already forgot the question, though.
1: Well, I mean, so... What do you be
2: you?
0: Yeah, what do you be you? I mean, what does it take to be Whitney Allison?
3: I'll answer for you. You (laughs) You should start, and then I'll think of something else. Whitney works really hard. She has 18 jobs that she does on the side, and then she always helps everybody with everything aside from those 18 jobs. She is constantly doing her exercises so she keeps up on all of her maintenance stuff. She's really good about it. I see her stretch a lot. I see her exercise it out a lot. I'm really I'm really impressed by her and it makes me feel really lazy. And then she eats really well all the time. And yeah, she works really, really hard. So when he gets a good result, it's like very deserved.
4: She cooks and, I, and she cleans. She and cooks and
3: she cleans, and she has 18 jobs, like I said. But she um, also... I'm going to predict that she wins a really big bike race this year. So that's my prediction for Winnie. Because she deserves it, and she works really hard.
2: That would be a miracle.
3: <laughs> it wouldn't be a miracle if you speak it into truth. It's like magic. We're talking about magic now on this podcast. But if you just, if you just speak it, and it becomes true so you have to speak it and you have to speak it and you have to speak it everyone at the table has to speak it and then it'll become true it'll manifest i swear that sounds really hippie then rub some crystals
0: so this is going to be the segue of segues and then we're going to come back and whitney's going to answer the question all the things that julie just said you recently did a webinar for source endurance on all those things that happen when you're not pedaling a bike Mm -hmm. What are the, if you could nail the top three things that you do not on a bike to make you a better bike racer, what are those three things that you should do?
1: Number one, sleep, really quality, high quality sleep. So, and that's, that's a big topic, right? Because there are a lot of things that you can do that will help you sleep, but in general to prioritize your sleep quality and number of hours. Number two, can't not say eat well. (laughs) Eat your fruits and vegetables, everybody. (laughs) Um, But it does make a big difference to enhance the micronutrient quality of your diet with fruits and vegetables. So just, um, I think for bike racers, it can be easy to eat oatmeal before your rides and then rice after your ride and the potatoes for dinner. And it ends up, um, especially when you're on the road, not having the high quality foods that will help you. Um, And that's applicable to everybody. And number three is that I do foam roll every night. So at some point doing foam rolling um, or I also have silicone cups that I use for cupping that are really helpful. That's actually something that I just discovered last year and they're only 30 bucks. And it's just really helpful to flush out the legs and feel good the next day so
0: Whitney what's the big race you're gonna win
1: I can't say anything
2: about that
0: (laughs) in in all honesty your results and we've got we've got the we've got the Whitney Allison road results page up I have
2: like nothing on there
0: the thing is is it's you've got a lot of almost up there from I Valley have of the,
2: almost, and I have a lot of lead-outs. You know, <laughs>
0: Valley of the Sun. Team wins. Valley of the Sun, you did exceptionally well in the time trial, and you did exceptionally well in the GC overall. You yeah. finished third. You know? Joe Martin stage race, again, you did pretty darn good against a really strong field of women. You know, you, you go back into the... She was
3: also coming off being sick, too, so...
0: You go back a year before that, got a fourth place at the Chrono Kristen Armstrong.
3: Yeah,
2: I was a little bummed about that one. I think I was like three or eight seconds behind Jasmine, which we did all year long. So I was I, always second to her. I'm seeing a
0: trend here of of your results. You do well when you have an opportunity to put your skill set to work, i.e., doing a good time trial and then defending that result. Do you have an opportunity this year for the rest of the year to put that into action?
2: Um, I'll probably have an opportunity at Colorado Classic. Um, but right now it's like we're kind of heading into crit season and we have so many amazing sprinters on our team. So I'm pretty sure I will have to be using my watts for other purposes for a while here.
0: Perfect uh, opportunity to segue to the, the second act of our show, which is the concept of team. We live in this sport where we all wear the same jerseys you know with a group of other men or women and then we race against other men and women who are wearing slightly different colors is this a team sport zach is this still a team sport
4: i'd say definitely in at the top level especially so when you're in a race and your team wants to win and it doesn't matter who it is and that's way easier to do if you're all on the same page and if you lose the race you're a professional and you're going to race again the next day probably it's you know you're all fighting for the team win and it becomes a way more clear vision of how to get there so like for cliff bar we race really aggressively and we're constantly countering each other until one of us gets in a move and whoever's in the move is who we're working for in that moment so if it comes down to a field sprint we have to figure it out and that's something we're not the best at is um, lead outs and field sprinting um, but especially at the top level it's Definitely a team sport, and that's why you don't see many individuals win as often as the really coherent team tactics go.
0: Whitney, I'm gonna preface this because because I get to I get to because you know I'm the host here. So I was down in Cancun on a vacation. I know it's it's a hard Show off. Yes, total show <laughs> off. Uh, somewhere between chips and guacamole, margaritas and dinner. El Paso happened. The uh, Sun City criterium happened in El Paso, and Hagens Berman was there. And I think you, girl, you you guys had four or five women who were in that race, and four. You guys absolutely dominated that race as a team. You did everything that you could possibly do to put your leaders in a position to be in the lead, and the results have you know borne out. You, you're the top team right now in the women's uh, USA crit series is bike racing for the women more of a team sport than it is for the men or is it just this is a team sport
2: I think occasionally there are individual riders that come through and are able to dominate on an individual level but I do think in the women's field for the top teams you see a lot of teamwork like Our team at El Paso tore that race up by riders doing their jobs, like doing their jobs for the team objective. Or if you look at our team at Winston-Salem, where we won for the second year in a row at arguably one of the hardest road races in the U.S., we didn't finish three riders out of six. Four. Well, one of them kind of broke her hand and rode with one arm up the final climb but you know all the riders were all in for the team objectives from the gun knowing that they probably weren't going to finish or if they finish they might be 60th but it resulted in that team win and maybe it's our team's personality I don't know if every team gets to be this lucky but whenever our teammates win it does feel like a team win versus just that one rider And so that does allow and create an environment for us to all go all in for those results.
0: This is pro bike racing, which means money is a part of it, uh, obviously. And, you know, even at the, even at the amateur level, at the elite amateur level, money is a part of it because bike racing costs money, hotels cost money, race entry costs money, equipment, all of it costs money as a, you know, as pros, what are we talking about budget-wise for one of these teams to be successful? Is it prohibitive for new people coming up, or is it something that, you know, if you can scratch together $15,000, 20000 you can launch a pro team? Kristen, you're on the new, the new women's team for ButcherBox. You know, what are we looking at here is not necessarily your specific budget, but just magnitudes of, of money that goes into it.
1: Uh, previous to ButcherBox, I was on a domestic elite team for three years, and we were fortunate in that our manager, Britley Bowman, did have a lot of transparency with us, which I think is not always the case for a lot of teams. Like, a lot of riders don't know where the money is going. Uh, my answer is going to be a little fluid in that it depends on what the management thinks the team needs and also if there is money like what the riders think they need because in my opinion personally like my first priorities are travel fee travel and entry fee and housing like those are things that I need in order to race but other people don't need that and they have means to get those so having equipment like bikes and helmets and things are more are going to help them to get into the sport. So I think it really depends on the team and the riders and also how the management sees what the team needs.
0: Because, you know, Zach, you and I have talked about this a little bit. If you break down all the races in USA Crits and, you know, we use USA Crits as an example because it is a fabulous race series and they're doing the right thing with the live stream and the publicity and trying to get people interested. They're, they're bringing it into towns that people may not consider as a town to go to, and they're bringing downtown races. So they're doing the right thing, but if you add up, just government per diem rates for the hotels, for two night stay in each of the cities, you total $2,700 per person. You travel with six guys. Six guys times 2,700. You know, we're talking real cash here. How valuable is it having a budget from your team
4: to To get you folks to these races, I mean, you see, you see, teams that it's invaluable. If you want to get to the races or actually do well, you need to be on a team, and um, the team is who supports you in every way in the entire sport. So, like, the reason that I get to go to all these USA Crits plus, and we're at Armed Forces this weekend in DC, and that's not a USA Crit. Um, so that's, you, it's on our calendar as an extracurricular, but so we're at a race on top of that, what you calculated as far as per diem for the whole year. And if you start to add it up, it's, you know, essentially hundreds of thousands of dollars. So the teams that you see at every single race, especially every single USA crit, they buy into the USA P- crit program. And then they have amazing sponsors that support all of that travel. And then they bring on riders that have proven themselves and proven themselves capable and have earned that spot on that team. So, like the team spots, you can say in a lot of ways, are competitive for that level of support from the team to be able to travel. And the travel is arguably the most expensive single line item for a team at the end of the year. So, when when a team sits down like Cliff Bar and we say, okay, we're going to do USA crits again. Alright, we're going to do USA Crits and Armed Forces. USA Crits, Armed Forces, and a bunch of guys are going to America's Dairyland. And so you start adding in all these races, and then, you know, there's no directors at this table, but they have, you know, a really hard job of picking how many people are going to go, how many people can the team afford to go to each race. So you see a lot of teams that come out of the gate really hot, and maybe they go to Winston-Salem, and then they're not at Armed Forces, and then they're not at Tulsa, and then it's like, what happened? And they just don't have any budget. So, I mean... It, every year there's a lot of turnover between teams and budget and, and the sponsors and everything. So it's this, there's different economies between all these different topics. Like a race promoter has a different economy finding sponsors to put on a race versus a team that's going to go to that race or not. So it's it gets pretty crazy, but we're lucky enough, the people in this podcast, to be on pretty solid teams with uh, really great leadership. So. It's been really nice. Yeah, well, let's speak about the team,
0: one of the teams that has tremendous leadership, you know, Hoggins Berman. Obviously, Lindsay, Mabra alumna, you know, she's done some great things. She just had she just did a, a interview on pretty much this exact same topic with News, and she was talking about the value that sponsorship gives to the sponsor. What is it that a a company like Hoggins Berman, you know, a law firm like Hoggins Berman what are, you, what are you, Julie and Whitney, what are you guys offering to that company when they put their name on, on your jersey?
3: You know anything about huggins Berman? The law firm is quite big, but they basically take on, um, for lack of a better term, consumer lawsuits. So they are, they've gone against Big Tobacco. They've gone against Volkswagen. Um, they, do, they actually do a lot of really cool cases we were in Philly, one, I think in 2016, and they were actually suing the city of Philadelphia to get clean water for the residents there. So they take on a lot of really cool cases, and it's mainly, I guess the theme would be underdog. And so Steve Berman started with, he's always, he is a cyclist, his son is a cyclist, and I think his son actually is in law school here, maybe? He's in law school somewhere. Maybe he's in Philly, or he was in Philly. Anyway, he, he they're both cyclists, um, and he's just always supported teams. They're based in Seattle, so he's always supported teams out there. And then he decided he wanted to support a U23 uh, men's team um, as an underdog, like the, that theme. And then I think the same for the women, um, when Lindsay approached him at, for sponsoring the team. I think it was the same kind of thing. And so... What he looks for is basically just—it's a way for him to enjoy cycling, and know that he's supporting programs that support people that may not have had support otherwise. I'd be interested to know how Butcher Box came about. That was actually
0: going to be the way that I was going to pivot because what is Butcher Box?
1: Delicious meat, I guess. In a box. In a box. (laughs) Butcher Box, the company is a subscription-based home delivery meat service. So it's high quality, 100% grass-fed beef, chicken, and pork. That is delivered once a month to, um, and there are different types of boxes. It is high quality, so that is the difference between going to your grocery store that you may not have access to this high quality meat. Um, as part of Butcher Box, there's something called Butcher Box Sports, and so it's a separate but attached sector of the company that focuses specifically on athletes. Um, I was I had a really great opportunity to actually create an athlete box that people can buy, um, and it's specifically targeted towards athletes. But the company works with MMA fighters um, and a whole range of other athletes sponsors them. And so that's one thing that's really interesting about ButcherBox is they have a sports component and they've identified... Cycling as another way for them to get more exposure, because meat in general, there's um, in the media anyway, there's direct ties with um, athletes in like the crossfit or the combat sports sector, but not necessarily endurance sports. so it's actually a really good opportunity for their company to get more exposure.
0: And so what is it that your team is doing to help provide exposure for butcher boxing? Mean, Obviously, the, you know, the director of your team, the the owner, you know, he views them as their, his client, his primary client. So, you know, why, why do you think they've come to you?
1: They have come to us, um, one that the team can represent the company well, so that everyone on the team is good ambassadors. So that goes along with social media, being a good person, being able to talk about the company well, um. But also, Steve has the owner of ButcherBox Cycling, was um, owner of Faster Days Racing Alliance, the sports management group, has been able to cultivate um, a story for the team. And part of that story was hiring me as a team nutritionist, so I help ButcherBox Cycling and the company to produce content that they're uh, so s- subscribers can use so like tips on how to use the products having more exposure as far as In social media and media in general being a spokesperson being able to talk about their products
0: So we've arrived at the the third part here, and you know I think Whitney alluded to it a little bit, but I'm just going to straight-up ask Zach the question and then we'll go around the table a little bit though Zach you won a wrestling belt last year. Yes. San Rafael. So cool. Yeah. This is why I wanted to ask Zach this question. As a pro, as a part of a team, do individual results matter?
4: Um, yeah. I mean, individual results definitely matter. Um, and it's team to team. But, I mean, at the end of the day, if you have to switch teams, which is going to happen to everyone at some point in their career, if you don't have anything on there that really shows that you're capable of running at that level then it just makes it harder so I mean I'm not planning on leaving Cliff Bar ever (laughs) but um, having that first place and a belt hanging up at my house from San Rafael Twilight is definitely a highlight of my career and then giving those opportunities to other riders too is key so I mean like I said Cliff Bar is a little more fluid tactically but everyone has an opportunity to win if there's a rider up the road and they are in a breakaway and they say i'm going good guys like block for me that's that they they can go for it we're not going to necessarily have them drop out of the break or pull them back if it you know isn't warranted or unless the rider is honest in saying that they aren't going to make a win from that break but yeah individual results definitely matter
0: now whitney you're in crit season what's your role
2: Oh, it probably depends on the day. Either to <laughs> attack or keep it together for a field sprint. You know, set it up for whatever the team objective is for the day. But more often than not, it's not to win the race.
0: Right now, you've got the top two women in USA Crits, and Starla and Lily. Is the game plan going on from here on out to have... The rest of the women work to make sure that those two women are, are protected. Mm,
2: yes and no. Um, we have so many different cards to play, so we don't have to...
3: Yeah, especially when we have a pure power sprinter in Harriet. Though, yeah. Like, she's... There may be a time where you slap somebody on her wheel to, to be the sweeper, and take whatever place behind her, but she deserves just as much of a lead out as everybody else. So
2: She's also been working her she's been, ass off yeah, she for has. everybody with all these hilly races so far this spring.
3: Yeah, so she absolutely, I mean, she at Winston-Salem, she jumped to moves. She, I mean, she did everything she needed to on the road race on Monday so that we could win the bike race. So I would say that... Most likely, I mean, obviously we're not the end-all, be-all, the last say, but I definitely think that there's more than just protecting those riders because that guy's kind of boring too, right? And that's not kind of how we ride anyway. I mean, you saw, like, Whitney attacked a bunch at Winston in the crit. I mean, like, we're just not going to, like, settle and be like, let's go for a field sprint. Like, that's not – if it happens, it happens, and then something, you know, we figure it out, but – um, I don't think that that's necessarily the plan. And just to your point, just when you were asking Zach about if results matter, um, if there's an attentive director of a team, I will say that they pay attention to the writer that is also doing all of the work. So an attentive director will know exactly, will know that Whitney, will see what Whitney does, will see what... Lily does when she's not winning, we'll see, you know, we'll see what Liza does, and I think that matters, um, wins do matter, but sometimes shitty people win, and that's an, and sometimes those people don't work with teams, like, and so I think a good director will do their research, and will figure out, well, hey, like, you know, Whitney's come to me, I know how she rides, and I, and I definitely want her on the team, and I think that is, something that people do take into consideration because if you have a bunch of people on the team and sure they all win but they all want to win all the time too like where's your team then you know and we've seen it with teams where they just implode where they're all sprinting against each other you know or someone's supposed to be winning and then guess what someone the other person on the team attacked up a climb and is now two minutes ahead of the rider that's supposed to be their gc you know so it's like that creates some really big um, divisiveness in teams, I think. So you definitely have to go into selecting your teams with being like, here's these people, they can win like this. Here's these people, they can win like this. But on this day, they can be a worker. And on this day, these people can be workers. So
4: Along those same lines, like I would not have won San Rafael if Connor Millerby didn't pull for two-thirds of the last lap and lead me out. Yeah. So it's nice that there's coverage for that stuff like you can go back and watch a highlight and realize that yeah I sprinted for 150 meters but Connor really had the hard job that is seen by directors and if Connor has to go find another team at some point you know maybe he doesn't put let out Zach for the win at San Rafael <laughs> yeah, on there but <laughs> um, if he doesn't have any other results like it's something that comes up in an interview process it's mm-hmm. not like it's not like your palmares or your list of results necessarily deems what you get paid or what team you get on it in full
0: Julie going back to you just for a second Poolsville you did the hard job and broke away you know I know it was a mob race and I was there I got to watch it I was really excited but the level of emotion the level of passion that you had crossing the finish line the great picture by Bruce Buckley.
3: Yeah, my team should take note of that because I feel like we do some week, ce- week celebrations. And I was like, this is my local race and I'm getting so hyped for this. And like, I don't know, yeah.
0: But it's also, for you, It's that's a result. That was a real result. Yeah. You have been the yeah. yeoman doing the work for your team for so long. This was an opportunity for you to get out there and get across the finish line first.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I hadn't won a road race in I think for since be- so my last road race that I w- or race that I won on the road was before I was injured, so it was really nice to to know that I could. I mean, I all I did was attack a bunch and I was like, well, either this is going to work or I'm just going to blow the fuck up, excuse me, my <laughs> language, but that's what I wanted. I wanted to win, so that was that was my goal. And yeah, it felt freaking obviously from the picture. It was awesome, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't really get to do that ever, so yeah, it was nice, you know. And that's the reality. I probably will never be able to do that in a professional race, but it's it's nice to to crush for just like a minute, yeah.
0: Kristen, you're building a new team. You're building a women's team. What's the matrix that goes into finding new riders?
1: My role on the team is the road captain, and we also have a team captain, which is Leslie Tim. And Leslie Tim is the one that approached Steve Collin about forming a more elite women's team. There is a club version, there's a club sector of box Cycling that has had women on it, but they're starting to form a more elite women's team. And yeah, that's been a really interesting experience so far, being able to help in the roster selection. That's not something I had been able to do before. And, um, I think initially Leslie approached me and a couple other riders, um, and a lot of the criteria first first round would definitely go into personality, so did Leslie feel like she could get along with these people and that we could all have a good cohesive team um, but we're at the point now where we can be more selective about what roles we need to be played and we are a crit focused team <laughs> so we do have some potential sprinters but we don't necessarily have a champion yet and so that's something we are looking for but myself and Minda Murray have, at minimum, three years of experience on the national circuit and are pretty confident in our ability to domestique and help riders. But, um, yeah, it is that is a big part of the roster selection is what role can these riders play. And then also, are they people that we want to spend a long time of the season with? Good Lord, yes. Yes, it's important.
0: So personality is the... Whew. The starting point, correct. And Zach, you know, I want to be a part of Cliff Bar. Say me hypothetically. Rob Kelly wants to be a part of Cliff <laughs> Bar, and and he's got the the Palomars to do it. You know. I think uh, you have a personality issue, Rob. I'm sorry. We just we can't take you. <laughs> I I assume so. But so a guy approaches you and says, "I want to be a part of your team. I yeah. want to race with you guys." What's the process like? Going through interviewing,
4: questioning. Do you call references? Um, well, I just give them Dylan's uh, email. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, that's not up to me. Um, but um, the process I went through, especially on Cliff Bar, where um, the sponsor's been around for a really long time, and what we do with Cliff Bar is really close, and it's um, it's important. And there's a lot for them to lose and gain in bringing on the right or wrong person. So. Um, I feel honored to be a part of the Cliff Bar family, but it is a really close sponsorship as much as being part of Team Cliff Bar's Crit Squad. So it's not, I, c- I came to find out pretty quickly that it's not just being on Team Cliff Bar and riding bikes with the guys. You have a responsibility to, to Cliff Bar, the company, and to Gary directly to um, be responsible for promoting them in the way that they want. Um, So there is an interview process. They do call references, unlike a lot of other teams where it might be, you know, so-and-so knows him, ask him about him. It's like, hey, is this person real? And what are they capable of? And what kind of person are they? And then that usually comes directly after the results. So it's like a lot of guys have results that aren't necessarily about being a greater part of... The Cliff Bar family or the relationship with that sponsor.
0: You know, you get onto a great team and you're doing everything you can, but life gets in the way. Sometimes it's just natural that somebody isn't working out. Is this a is this a sport where you've got to fire people?
3: Uh, yeah! Oh yeah!
0: So you know, Julie, you know, have have you ever done the firing or? Or has this been something where, you know, you've been a part of it and you've just seen the fit wasn't there?
3: No, I will – I've never had to fire anyone, but I'm really never – my opinion is ne- – what's – so? Never Whitney, not known. Never not known. <laughs> so Whitney is an introvert, and she, like, thinks about things, and then I just kind of vomit them out of my mouth constantly. So I will always give my opinion about riders, and on our team, on pretty much every team I've been on – there's been at least one rider that just hasn't worked out. And I've like tried to think about what what that could be about. And part of it is potentially that they've never been, ex- they've never experienced a team sport before, I think, or don't understand how to, how to do that. Um, but yeah, sometimes, I mean, we've, yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna say much, but I will say that yeah, there are definitely people that either they'll, they'll leave the team or you just or if they're not working out, a director's not going to race them and you'll just not see them at any races. I will say we're pretty fortunate on our team.
2: And I've been on teams where like you have like a team divided and it can create a really toxic environment really yeah. fast. And that, like, ends up influencing how the team does in races. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Julie said, like, our director's been pretty prompt about, like, nipping any issues in the bud immediately so that we can keep our cool off the bike and on the bike and not let that really affect our team results, which has been really peaceful, Yeah, I would say.
3: Yeah.
0: Given that you guys come from all over the place. Are there like Saturday group rides and coffee shop meetings or is this, you know, we come together to race. We come together for team
2: camp. We do a lot of stuff together on the road. We also have a WhatsApp that's out of control.
3: Yeah, I think you know this weekend is a little bit different because we both have family here, but normally we are all together and we'll do like rides and coffee. Somebody will inevitably half wheel someone else on the ride, that happens a lot. I don't want to say any names, but there are definitely some half wheel assassins here and in, uh, in the midst of the team. But yeah, we like to we like to hang out. We like and but I think people are really good about giving each other alone time too. Like it's like people will come and hang out with each other. I think I'm the most annoying because I'm always like, hey, what are you doing? Like to everyone, and then I understand after twenty minutes of bothering them that I should give them their alone time. But yeah, I think for the most part we all like to hang out.
0: Zach, talk to us. You're the Zen master, I think. Okay, by the, the way one. by the way you're looking at me, maybe master of Zen. maybe uh, maybe it's just my, my experience from the outside. You know, this is a stressful sport. Being a bike racer, I mean there's not just the fact that it is inherently exclusive, you're trying to drop people, you know, you're trying to you're trying to make the competition go away, but also the hours the work that goes into it all that stuff it's a stressful sport you know what do you do to kind of emotionally prepare yourself for what is about to happen
4: i generally i mean maybe you said the on the outside i'm pretty chill it's i've been doing it for a while so there's not to me a point in wasting energy as far as being super nervous on the start line like Yeah, I haven't done Clarendon for probably eight or nine years as a race, but it's another crit, and I have another one next weekend, and I had one the weekend before. So um, going into it with a plan of what the race is like, do I have to be on the front from the beginning, or can I kind of drift to the back like I like to do to warm up a little bit? So there's not really a point in being super nervous on the front, wasting energy, thinking about bad stuff. It's like it's another crit. I know how to do it. I'm, I'm good at it so just let me do my thing and then in the race having a plan with the other teammates and you know doing what you need to do to feel good before the race like nothing's going to happen two or even three days before the race where you're going to gain fitness or you know make it to where you get dropped versus win the race so um, with that said it's kind of you know polarized thing because you have to be I like to be chill and calm before the race and have things set up and have, make sure my bike's working and do everything beforehand. And then when you get to the end of the race, you have to be violent and, you know, protect the wheels that you need. And, and you have to go to the finish line and you have to be there first or try to. So it is definitely polarized. And that's one of the hardest things for riders to do is you have a lot of chill riders And they show up super chill and they're chit-chatty. And then they get to the end of the race and they can't break that chill mindset. And then they end up, you know, finishing 20th because they're good. 10th, yeah. (laughs) And those guys get 10th every race. And it's like, you have to, even during the race, you have to see the race lines, not waste energy. But at some point you have to be like, here's the race line. Here's the line I'm going to take because I need to move up now. And you have to be able to change your mindset to do things differently to move up. Like, if you're just sitting in the field, conserving energy the whole race, you're never going to get to the front or you're never going to attack or you're never going to change that mindset and do something differently, which is what you have to do to, you know, beat other people that are stuck in a a different mindset. So, yeah, being able to remain calm but then also um, change and get uncommon really quick towards the end of the race, I think, is key.
0: Whitney, what about pulling back from just armed forces, just Tulsa Tough, just Winston-Salem, but remaining positive throughout those winter months or the training time periods or just do you ever have a day where you're just like, nah, not today?
2: Of course. Um, I think if I just have one of those, sometimes I'll let myself have it and take an extra day off, especially like I kind of think of like, life is kind of like a glass of water. And if you keep pouring too much, like stress into it, it's going to like overflow. So you have to kind of balance like your training stress and life stress and work stress. So if I'm just really unmotivated to ride randomly and can attribute it to that, then I'll give myself a break. Um, but otherwise I'm a pretty self-motivated person and like I've worked with my coach for so long. So it's, just like he gives me a recipe for quote unquote fitness success. So, if I, I know that if I put in the work in general, do 80 to 90% of the workouts, then I'll have a good result come around season time.
0: What's it like being the married couple in
4: the Pro Peloton?
2: I made him bring me a book because I've been <laughs> on the
4: road longer than it him. It was so heavy. It was like TSA almost didn't let the bag on. Just, uh, I had to tell him it was full of books. it's like there's ups and downs like this week's really nice we get to stay with my parents um and whereas like we'll go to Tulsa together actually which is nice and it's nice to be able to do that but then like we'll be probably three blocks away from each other in Tulsa for the entire long weekend so it's like you like wave at the start line and say like good luck but it's like um other than that I don't think like it's not like everyone knows we're married or anything like that or like our friends like my team we hang out with Supermint and there's pool parties and stuff like that but like yeah it's pretty we've been doing it for so long too it's kind of like a normal flow like i think it's nicer to be at the same race um but it's pretty much like a normal workflow for us as far as another normal couple would get home from work and eat dinner together and whatnot it's like we just meet up on the road together when we can
2: and well, it's also interesting because we work together at home with businesses, so it's like feast or famine. We're together 24-7 or not at all, so I think it's probably an important thing to have a break during the <laughs> year. Like, we saw each other three days in April. Aww. <laughs> um, That's okay. Many a,
0: many a marriage has been saved by timely deployment.
2: <laughs> That's probably <laughs> true.
0: But uh, do, you, do you guys train together? Are you pushing each other,
4: or...?
2: I half-wheel them.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's really nice. I'm more of a sprinter than, mm-hmm. like, a climber. So Whitney's more of a time-trial power rider, so... Um, her, like, super-duper high, you know, endurance, maybe tempo... It's pretty much the very bottom of my endurance pace, uh-huh. yeah. So <laughs> We can match, like, three watts where she's going really hard, but no, we, we I've train a lot home together. A time yeah. too. <laughs> it's really nice to be able to, to ride together, and um, I'll sit behind her interval sometimes and, like, buzz her tire or, like, sing her a song or something. She really likes that.
2: Yeah. This, this happens a lot. <laughs>
4: so, Kristen, your life
0: is athletics. I mean, your jobs are athletics, your bike racing is obviously athletics. Do you do something to say I, I need I need a time out here. I got to, <laughs> you know, do you get away from this athlete world cuz we're all type A personalities here and that yeah. can be exhausting.
1: I'm definitely not type A. <laughs> definitely not. I daydream a lot about things I would do other than the things that I do, <laughs> but generally it just it does take up a lot of time. Pulling away for me, I do like at the end of the season, I like camping a lot. So I do go hiking and canoeing and things like that. Um, but it is very timed around the rest of my life um, and the priorities. And I also, I do make time for things like conferences for coaching and nutrition, so Sometimes um, it may not be athletics for my personal pursuit, but for others, like you said. Um, but also in the field of nutrition, I don't just work in sports nutrition. That's my specialization. But um, I also keep up on research in other areas, too. So so this is the
0: last question. And I, I've been saving the last one for Julie, because yes. I, I think this is going to be the best. Uh. Not, to, not to totally put pressure mm-hmm. on her. Mm-hmm. Julie, what do you do to just relax?
3: Because
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've seen way too much fun happening in your world.
3: I don't know. I, I like to hang out with my dogs a lot and um, my partner, and he's pretty great, and we relax a lot. I think, like, I, th- I mean, I, I watch a lot of uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, which is my favorite show in the world, and that makes me really happy, and that makes me really relaxed. Um, I read books. Um, I weirdly watch a lot of SVU. What's that show? Law and Order SVU? <laughs> I don't know. Um, and then I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't know. I feel like I... Re- I feel like I relax a lot. Maybe I need to relax less and like do more things. Maybe I need to like research how to be type A. Is that a thing that you can make yourself?
0: I I, I don't believe I'm qualified. Uh, I was born that way.
3: Oh man. Okay. So what's the types? Is it A and B? Is there
4: a C type? We can create it. We can I think you're definitely it. a C type. Okay. I was because diagnose you is C.
3: is that. Is that a thing? Because I think that is what I'm... Is Does it stand for <laughs> type cool? Because <laughs> that's definitely what I am. Um, um, did that answer your question? I don't really know if that was uh, anything that probably you... Probably not,
0: but I think that that's the best answer that I was ever going to get from that question. Yeah,
3: I do a lot of yoga. No, I don't do any yoga. I can't even handle it. And I can't also handle... When, like the thing that people do when they do like their, what's that called, meditation? I can't do that either. Um, so instead, I just listen to really weird podcasts about murder and watch Law & Order, SVU, and RuPaul's Drag Race. It's a really weird mix in my head. I don't know what's going on most of the time. And I just, I don't even know why I said that. I need help. <laughs> right.
0: So guys, thank you all so very much. Best of luck at Armed Forces this weekend. We'll be out there
3: cheering for you guys. Thank you. This is great.
0: If you're hearing this, you've made it to the end of the interview. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mobber Radio. As promised, a few thoughts from me about where we go from here. As you heard from just this small cross-section of the community, We have the quality riders and people to continue a healthy, vibrant sport into the future. We have the venue. The towns, cities, and counties that host our top races are perfect. The community support is there, and while we may occasionally hit a pothole along the way, generally speaking, we are very well off. As we continue to grow the sport, we need to look beyond just the sponsorship model of funding. We should look to the example of football, baseball, and soccer, which have diversified their revenue sources to great success. Road racing, unlike track or maybe even cross, likely will never be able to charge a gate to its spectators. The very nature and size of a road race course just makes that difficult. However, with the improvements in live streaming, and the ubiquity of social media sources like Instagram or Twitter, we have a great opportunity to expand viewership of individual races and create an overarching narrative to engage the community. By driving eyeballs to our events and sharing marketing revenue, we can tap into funding that was previously locked away. Even on a local level, if we partner with community improvement groups, and nonprofits to link social causes to our event and help create awareness, we can help create a longer-term viable racing style. As bike racers and competitors, we will continue to show up wherever someone puts down a finish line on a road. Perhaps now, we should add a cause along with that drive. A special thanks to Source Endurance and our guests this week on Mobber Radio, Zach Allison, Whitney Allison, Kristen Arnold, and Julie Kalitza. Please remember to share, like, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts from. Leave us a review or send an email to radio at gmail.com and let us know how we're doing and what you'd like to hear about in the future. Until next time, we'll see you out on MacArthur Boulevard.